hybrid of both, where there is an intertrip, which means you get to use a full capacity of that asset, but under the agreement that under M-1 events, there could be some slightly more pessimistic A&M type options that could come through that could allow you to have some level of export without overloading the remaining network assets. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Connectology podcast and I'm Hugh Taylor, CEO at Road Knight Taylor. I'm very much a layperson. However, I'm joined here by Philip Bale and Pete Aston. and hello both. Hello Hugh. Hi Hugh. Philip actually said that he thought we should do a podcast on this topic, which is nuances between intertrips and A&M, other flexible arrangements, and the opportunities that there are for connecting parties essentially for those developing or investing in projects to optimise those projects. I'm going to very quickly introduce um, these two. A lot of you will know who they are anyway, but just in terms of the relevance, so you should work out whether or not you should be listening to them. So Philip Bale was um, in the innovation team at um, Western Power Distribution, now NGED, for five and a half years and actually led the deployment of WPD's um, the very first active network management project and also wrote the um, curtailment assessment tool as well and so um, has quite a lot of insight. He does most of the curtailment modelling here at Road Knight Taylor as well. And then Pete Aston, who headed up the system planning function at WPD, was actually then, once AM was business as usual at WPD, he was responsible for the rollout across all four license areas. So hopefully plenty of um, insight here in the room. Philip, if we start with you, do you want to just explain why you thought this would be of value to our audience of investment directors and development directors? So active network management has been around for about a decade and maybe a little bit longer. And the aim is to try and unlock capacity on networks, knowing the fact that all generation doesn't often happen at exactly the same time, that the minimum demands don't occur at the same times, and the fact that the network isn't depleted at the same time. Theoretically, all can happen at the same time. And A&M and intertrips can be used to unlock flexibility. It can be also used to unlock a lot of capacity within the network. The key thing that people that own these schemes need to understand is what does it mean in terms of their scheme? What does it mean in terms of its reduction in yield? When will it likely occur? What are the scenarios that they need to assess? But equally, the DNOs need to keep their network within its design limits, ensure network isn't overloaded, damaged. And I think this is an opportunity to discuss where the right mix should come through, what conversations should we have, and to try and make sure that you can fully understand exactly what do you want for your scheme? Where are the pros? Where are the cons? Where's the optimization between the two? I was just wondering, Philip, whether it was just worth very quickly giving a quick high-level overview. Should I do that on between the, the differences between an A&M and an intertrip? Sounds good. In, in terms of the systems, they're very different, aren't they? So intertrip is sort of, intertrips, I guess, have been used for 
decades for various different things. Haven't you? So it's something happens on the network, like a circuit breaker opening or a circuit breaker closing, something like that, which then sends a trip signal to a customer. It could be a generator, it could be a demand customer. So something happens on the network, that customer trips off. So it's a very black and white, you know, very binary type solution. Uh, whereas active network management is a bit more nuanced, isn't it? It's like if there's some headroom on the network, you, the output of your generator can be ramped up and down sort of almost, you know, on a sort of infinitely variable basis between, you know, naught and full output, depending on the capacity on the system. So it's a really different type of approach. Absolutely, Pete. And I think the key thing with A&M is that you can have what's called pre-event curtailment and post-event curtailment. Pre-event curtailment says, I'm always going to balance my system so that if the worst case scenario that something trips off, my remaining assets won't be overloaded. Whereas post-event curtailment says that if this gets tripped off, I'm going to take actions very, very quickly so that the remaining asset will get a little bit hot, but that then we'll call it back down within time periods. And that, I think, is the key aspect between the two is around whether it's pre and post-event and how it then links between the two. And, and different DNOs are doing different A&M systems, aren't they? So some are doing pre-fault curtailment, some are doing post-fault curtailment, some maybe are doing a, a mixture of the two, and it's it's a bit difficult sometimes to actually know what the DNOs are doing, isn't it? I agree completely. And I think ultimately the DNOs in their connection offers to customers, there is no detail, there's no information, there's no clarity on how their A&M schemes will operate. And even if they tell customers that they're planning on doing post-event curtailment for A&M schemes, and then they realise that's a mistake, there's nothing to stop them then reverting back and saying, actually, it's going to be pre-event and someone's curtailment risk then increasing quite considerably. So that would be after the event. So you could have a curtailment report from a DNO and then they could change their A&M arrangements or running arrangements and then come back to you with a with a higher risk scheme is that the i think basically with the curtailment report as you said there you get a report for most of the dnos some graphs some numbers some indications but there's no substance behind it it doesn't say this is based on an assumption of pre-event curtailment with transformers rated at this with responses with these sorts of time periods they are just arbitrary numbers that are put in that are based on an assumption the DNO has made that they don't tell customers what it is, which actually means it doesn't allow customers to understand whether those numbers are potentially too optimistic, too pessimistic, where in some areas are too optimistic and some areas are too pessimistic. And also, almost all of the curtailment reports and A&M type offers from DNOs are caveated such that it says this curtailment report is simply a prediction you know your your actual curtailment will be could be higher or lower in real life depends on what happens on the network which might be where you're coming with the differences between A&M and intertripping I'm guessing absolutely so effectively with the A&M schemes they're effectively constantly looking at the network controlling things some of the because you're always planning for the worst case scenario it means under normal running you're always leaving headroom within the network, as opposed to an intertrip that would say, actually, there is almost certainly extra capacity in that network while both assets are running in parallel. Obviously, there needs to be assessments to make sure short-term, short-term overload ratings aren't exceeded, no protection, cascade tripping issues, slugging of relays, those sorts of things. It needs to be looked at in a lot of detail. But under normal system running, you are almost certainly curtailing generation down when you wouldn't need to 
On the flip side, as Pete mentioned earlier with an intertrip, once something happens, it's off. So it's an arbitrary binary type approach of saying something happens, turn it off. So under abnormal running, an intertrip is very severe. So say you're taking a transformer off for an entire summer period. If you're on an intertrip and that remains, you would be off for an entire summer period. Whereas with A&M, they may be able to balance things to allow some export through that remaining transformer to make sure that if that failed or tripped, what would be the next overload in the system? That's an interesting thing because, Philip, when you sort of introduced this topic to me, my assumption before that very brief conversation was that A&M is the sort of the gold standard of flexible connection arrangements and it is always going to trump an intertrip. And apparently not. And could you just kind of explain how or in what circumstances an intertrip would be better than than that kind of Rolls-Royce of what is A&M? So as an example, say a DNO agrees that they have a short-term rating of a transformer so that there is an extra 20 or 30% headroom within that transformer. With an intertrip, you would be able to utilize that under normal running. So under an A&M scheme, they may well be curtailing you to make sure the system has time to respond. You could see quite significant reductions in your export. Whereas if it was based on an intertrip alone under normal system running, there would be that extra headroom that you could then utilize which means you wouldn't be curtailed as often. So, so yeah, I guess another way of thinking of it is with A&M, especially if you're on pre-fault curtailment, which a lot of DNOs are doing, you are getting curtailed all the time on the assumption that the a first an, an outage is going to happen at some point. So, so your, your, your output's always being ramped up and down for something that isn't happening. Whereas with an intertrip, you only ever get tripped off for something that does actually happen in real life unless there's some you know malop or something you could find that there is no outage for, for a whole year on the on the bit of kit that you're intertripped for whereas if you're on AM you would have been curtailed up and down just on the assumption that there could have been an outage but it's the flip side that philip mentioned earlier that if there is an outage on that asset that you're intertripped for you could be out for a long time that's one of the the big issues with an intertrip isn't it it is, and it's one of the things that we look at as terms of risks around intertrips, risks around A&Ms, and potentially for some options where it's available in agreement with the DNO, a hybrid of both, where there is an intertrip, which means you get to use a full capacity of that asset, but under the agreement that under M-1 events, there could be some slightly more pessimistic A&M type options that could allow you to have some level of export without overloading the remaining network assets. And I've seen some systems, I don't know if you've seen these as well, Philip, where there are intertrips suggested, but the, the intertrips are not necessarily based on a circuit breaker opening, but on a level of d- demand, you know, or, or load flow through an asset. So if, if the demand load th- flow through a transformer or something goes above a certain level, then you get intertripped off. It's, it's a hybrid. Have you seen those? I, I think, I'm sure that's what some of the Scottish... Uh, transmission companies called load load management schemes uh, look like that sort of system? I think it's starting to sneak in more and primarily because there is a general feeling that A&M schemes are slowing down, that they're using slower communication, making slower decisions. And then as a result, the intertrips are there to try and protect the assets for a risk that either the communication stops, assets take too long to come off. 
And I think there is an element of the DNOs making decisions on A&M schemes without fully consulting with the market, the customers, who ultimately are the customers of these, are the ones that get connected as a view of what is the benefit versus the capital cost of installing quicker, more resilient, better communication systems versus the lost cost of energy from those curtailments. I think in some instances it will be different results, but on the whole, it feels like people are going more towards slower systems with lower curtailment levels, which will see customers having higher curtailment overall. So lower limits for where they start curtailing generation, meaning more curtailment. And actually that may be the wrong way for the industry to go. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's Connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. I'm very conscious of the fact that um, all three of us are on a client call in five minutes. And, and kind of the real meat of this, I think, Philip, is that there are going to be developers who've got projects um, that they might want to sell or they might want to build out. And there are investors who will be looking at projects or will have acquired projects. And I think your suggestion to me was actually a, a lot of this work, this optimization work, can be done post-acceptance. So if you've got projects um, that you've accepted offers or you've acquired projects, that actually, you know, now could be the time to be optimizing and it could be game changing on some projects that, that might have appeared marginal when you when you acquired them. So how, how do you actually go about changing the arrangements that your connection has actually been uh, sort of quoted for? I think that's a great point. I think with every offer, they are quoted at a very early stage, very high level, very desktop design. And more often than not, there isn't that re-look at that offer to understand why was it offered? Is there a better solution when you have more breathing space and more thinking time? Having people who really understand the networks, the assets, the options, the A&M schemes, being able to push back, explore, work with discuss with the key limits of the network with the DNOs then could mean that schemes could get either significantly better, allow people to better understand the risks of their projects and where it may be possible to optimise them more in the future. Pete, when you headed up the system planning team at WPD, responsible for all those offers going out, if you had a customer come to you, um, let's say Philip was representing a connections customer and said, we've had a look at the um, flexible arrangement on this project and we'd like to switch from A&M to an intertrip or vice versa or have a hybrid arrangement. So how would you have viewed that? You know, what, what advice would you have given to your system planner who was actually at the sharp end of I the I think time? it might have actually happened in reality, Hugh, that Philip talked to me <laughs> when I was in that role. Um, a lot of the time, the questions that get asked of a DNO are questions that a DNO hasn't thought of before. DNOs, understandably, need to not just look at an individual scheme, but they do end up looking at big picture as well. So, uh, and, and there's a sort of fairness thing saying, if, if I offer this to one customer, can I offer it to something else? So that's always going around a DNO's mind. So so when we're approaching, as Ray Knight Taylor, our discussions with DNOs, we, we have that in mind, that understanding the way that they think and operate and react. It's a case of ta- taking that question and going, Okay, what what's the impact? Like, for example, that it was it was always an interesting question when there's a, an A and M zone already being identified in a certain part of the network. 
where customers came and asked to have intertrips instead of A&M because of precisely the issues that Philip was mentioning, going, well, how do the two systems technically interact with each other? So as soon as an event's happened on the network and a customer's tripped off, well, does that mean now there's more capacity for those customers who are on the A&M systems? And, and how do you operate the curtailment assessment in the first place if some customers on intertrip and some on A&M? So there's some really complicated interactions, but the really good DNOs will take that away and engage. Yeah. Uh, and, and you'll be able to have the conversation. And obviously, they're all really good DNAs. So just very briefly, Philip, last couple of minutes, if you were an investment director and you'd acquired a portfolio of projects, and some of them had active network management, um, and some of them or, or would have um, once once they were the connections were built out, and some would have intertrips, what would you do? And maybe some would have none at all. What would you do as that individual? How would you decide which projects should really be run under the microscope? So I would say trying to identify which projects have the biggest risk from that point of view. I mean, every project is unique and each network is unique. So you have a high look over, you identify the ones that are the highest risk projects, the biggest, quickest wing projects. And then it's also a case of going through and trying to engage with the DNO because for some of them, it'll be a set no not going to happen. And there's some walls that can be scaled and broken down and others and doors that can be opened and others there isn't. So understanding what could be technically appropriate, what could be safe for them. And then from there, trying to push quite a lot to trying to get the best solution for each individual project. Brilliant. We've now got to go and jump on that call. So thank you both. This is when you say thank you. Thank you. you. Well, you <laughs> thank me. Thank, let's, let's all thank the audience very much um, because uh, you have invested time in this and I hope it was useful and look forward to catching you on the next one. Many thanks. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk, link in the description, where you can also sign up to our free Connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections. If, during this podcast, you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a Roadnight Taylor Connectologist in your life, please do email laura at roadnighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too.